Um, every Sunday morning, there is this uh, beautiful little moment that I have, and it is the moment where I take off my mask. I have to take off my mask and put this on, and so I'm not allowed to sing because I don't have my mask on. And for just that little moment, I don't hear myself, I hear you. And it's just so, so good to hear God's people singing God's praise. Especially the song we were just singing. Christ we proclaim. That's our job as Christians. And when I think of it on Friday night, I was just so thrilled. That on Friday night, we had an opportunity to proclaim Christ as hope in the darkness to this community. In a room probably that was 50-50 in terms of guests and ourselves. In a room where questions were asked by most of our guests and not us. God was good to us on that night. And I pray for us as a church. This is the pre-sermon before the sermon. But I pray for us as a church that we will be known as that church that keep proclaiming Christ. That when people see Passage Baptist Church, when people hear of Passage Baptist Church, they are going to say, those are the people who keep speaking about Jesus. That is how I want us to be known. And can I just say to us as a church, thank you for Friday. To those who came, to those who served and set up. I know not everybody was able to come. I know it didn't suit schedules and whatever. But just thank you for all the work that you put in uh, to that night. The Lord was really, really good to us. Now, (laughs) open up your Bibles, please, to Proverbs. We're in Proverbs. And this morning... You're going to have to look at three places in your Bible, okay? I hope we can do that. Three places in your Bible. You are going to turn pages in your Bible, and I think you can do it. I think you can do it. The three places in your Bible I want you to look at this morning are going to be Proverbs chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6. So Proverbs chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then 2 Timothy 3. Proverbs 4, Deuteronomy 6 and 2 Timothy 3. And we're going to work through it in that order. And I'll explain to you why we're going to look at those three passages. Because about three weeks ago, I said to us as a church, in three weeks' time, I'm going to get to a passage, and it is Proverbs chapter 5. And as we get to Proverbs chapter 5, I said in three weeks' time, I said to the parents, listen, parents, the passage, I think I described it as interesting. The passage in Proverbs 5 is very interesting. And so what I said to the parents three weeks ahead of time, I said, parents, could you read that and think through that passage, Proverbs chapter 5? And then as I thought about my announcement this week that I made about three weeks ago, and as I critiqued myself, I said to myself, Was that clear or was that vague? And I thought to myself, that's probably vague. I said to parents, there's an interesting passage, Proverbs 5, read it three weeks ago. And let's be honest, you know, some of us are coming into the church right now with the mess that is our lives and you you come into the church and 
some of us forgot to even bring a Bible, let alone remember that we're in Proverbs, let alone that remember that we're in Proverbs 5, and let alone remember that we're going to be in this awkward passage. And so what I thought to myself is, if you have come in here this morning as parents and as children and as the congregation, and you are not ready to hear from Proverbs chapter 5, then I haven't really done my job well. So what I want to do is prepare us as a church going forward with all the parents, with all the children and with all the visitors in, I want to prepare us as a church going forward. What is it going to be like for us as we approach passages like this again and again and again throughout the Scripture? I want us to build the foundation for that. Because because going through the Scripture, as we go through the Scripture, it's kind of like climbing mountains. You know, sometimes when you when you start the climb, my job is is to lead us all in the climb. I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, the Sherpa that leads us up the mountain. Sherpa Shane leading us up the mountain. And so I'm, I'm called to lead us up. And, and as we start to go up the mountain, sometimes when you're going up the mountain of scriptures, there's kind of like hill walks. It's just, it's just kind of flat. You go through the gospels, let's say. And as you walk through the gospels, everybody's familiar with the gospels and that's no problem. That's grand. I can, I can walk through with you. And it, and it's easy for the preacher to lead us through a passage like that. And then we come to maybe more difficult climbs, like maybe Paul's epistles. There's certain parts in that that are theologically difficult and hard for us to understand. And so it's my job to to lead us through that. But then we come to big, big climbs. Climbs like Leviticus and Revelation and Songs of Solomon and Proverbs 5. And some of us, we stand there and I'm saying to you, come on, let's go up this mountain. And you say, I'm not ready to go up there. I've never gone up there before. And I'm saying, come on, come on, let's go. And you're saying, I'm not ready to go up there. We haven't even climbed up there. We're not ready to go there. I haven't prepared my children to go up there. I haven't prepared myself to go up there. And you see, my tendency is this. Here's my tendency. Let's just go. That's my tendency. Let's just go and climb this mountain. It's there. Let's climb it. But I think what we need to do is prepare ourselves for the climb before we take the climb. So that's what I want to do this morning. As we approach passages that talk about adultery and sexual immorality and talk about them very plainly and clearly, we need to build that foundation as a church to get ourselves ready for those types of passages. Because I refuse to ignore them. In fact, the way I preach Scripture is like this. This is the way the Reformers preached it. They called it Lectio Continua, which means the next passage is the passage that you preach. And so you're constrained by the passages that are before you. So this is what happened to me a few weeks ago. In Proverbs 3, a few weeks ago, it came to this passage, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Here was how I was feeling. I had just talked to us as a church about giving. I had just talked to us as a church about the fact that we've opened up an account. And then I came to Proverbs chapter 3 and it said, Honor God with your wealth. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to speak about that again. And Proverbs 3 constrained me to say, No, you have to. And that's the way we will go through Scripture. And I think what will help us build this foundation is one word in Proverbs that I have not focused on. 
There's one word in Proverbs that I think will help us build this foundation, and that is the word here. The word here. If you look at Proverbs chapter 4, this word here is said twice. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 1, it says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you might gain insight. Hear. And then in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 10, it says, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Hear. And then in the very first speech that the father gives to the son, in chapter 1, verse 8, look at chapter 1, verse 8, he begins his very first speech with one word, and it is the word here. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Hear, hear, hear. Now, how is he saying that? He could just be saying that in order to instruct us that you are to listen. You know, he says to his son, listen to my commands, forsake not my teaching, remember my commands, hear them, listen to them. Maybe that's all the father is saying. He is instructing them to listen. Maybe that is all the father is leading them to do. Just listen. But I think this word is more important than that. Because sometimes it takes a word to bring us back to a place or to bring us back to a memory. I believe that all of us have a word. My word is, I have many of them, but one of my words is the word Gary Vaux. When I hear the word Gary Vaux, that word brings me back. That word brings me back to a beach that my grandmother had a caravan in, Gary Vaux Beach. And I, I, can, I can remember the smells, I can remember the feel of the grass, I can remember the caravan. Just one word. When someone says that one word to me, it floods back a load of memories into my mind. The word here. That's what it does. And this word for the Jewish ear is a word here that will flood back a load of memories into the Jew's mind. The word is the word Shema. Shema. And the Shema is Deuteronomy chapter 6. They would have learned it at a very young age. They would have memorized it. They would have remembered, if they hear the word Shema, they would have remembered the words that their father had taught them. Shema Israel Adonai, Elohenu Adonai, Ehad, Ehad. That is the Shema that all the Jewish boys would have learned early on in their lives. Hear, listen. And so there is this instruction for the fathers to prepare their children to hear God's word, to listen to God's word. And as I thought of this word here today, as I thought of us preparing ourselves to hear that word today, I thought I need to prepare us. And that, that, that idea came to me. Do you know when that idea came to me? Friday morning. 
As a preacher, you don't want an idea like this to come to you on Friday morning because I was preparing for chapter 5 on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then on Friday morning, it came to me and I said, I don't think we're ready to climb this mountain yet. I think I need to instruct us as to the importance of hearing this word, the Shema. And so when the the Father says this word three times in this text, it will surely bring them back to the Shema tradition. And what is the Shema tradition? Well, turn to Deuteronomy 6. Let me show you what this Shema tradition is. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jeddah read it for us uh, so very well. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. It begins by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with your with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The Shema begins by saying, Hear, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There is no other God like Him. He is the only one. He is the Father, He is the Son, He is the Holy Spirit. And the other nations, they may have many gods, but there is only one Lord God Almighty. And you are called to love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, with all of your strength. And you are to know that in your hearts. These are the words that they would have remembered. In fact... In Jewish tradition, in the first century, Jewish boys at the age of six, they would come and they would be trained in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. It is it is called the instruction and they were to memorize it, (laughs) memorize the first five books of the Bible. I struggle with a couple of verses and they would know it by maybe 10 or 13 or whatever. They would memorize. Imagine memorizing the book of Leviticus. We can't even read it. They memorized it. Devoted it to memory. So surely, surely as, as, as the Jewish person is, is reading, as the Israelite is reading the Proverbs and they hear the word, hear, O son, they are brought back to the Shema. The Lord your God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. But then the Shema continues. What does it say? Verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and and, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You not only need to know the Shema, that the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You're not only to know that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. But what are you to do with that truth? You are to teach it to your children. And how are you to do it? Do you notice the word? Diligently. Teach it to your children diligently. I guarantee you, Parents, tomorrow morning, you will get your children ready for school. Why? Because you want them to be taught diligently. You might want to get them out of the house too, but you want them to be taught diligently. 
and hear from the teacher. And if you heard, if you managed to get wind that the teacher in the classroom, that all they were doing was, was sitting back and putting their feet up, and you, you heard that, that your child was not being taught from Monday to Friday, you would be outraged that they aren't being instructed diligently. Why? Because you know that education is important. Maths is important, geography is important, history is important, and I want my child to be educated well and taught diligently. Let me tell you what is far more important than those things. The ways of the Lord. And we are to diligently teach our children the ways of the Lord. And whose job is that? Whose job is that? It's the job of the parents. See, we're so used to, and I admit, we're so used to as parents dropping our children off to places in order that they get trained. We, we pass them off to the schools to teach them. We pass them off to the youth groups to teach them. We pass them off to the kids clubs to teach them. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. I happily will do those things. But we must not neglect to teach them diligently the ways of the Lord. And we do that when we lie down, we do that when we sit down, we do that on on the ways in our days. Just normally throughout our day, we are ready to teach our children diligently. And I would encourage every household here, every household here, to ensure that God's Word is diligently brought before your household. And it might be, you know, at a breakfast time when you sit down at the table, It might be at a dinner time when you sit down at the table. It might be at a bedtime, but it should be sometime. And let me tell you, it's not always going to look amazing. I mean, your children aren't always going to be saying, you know, hallelujah, amen, thank you, daddy, this is amazing, I love Jesus, just because you're talking to me about Jesus. Actually, the fact is, they probably won't be listening to you, they'll probably be throwing plates around, they'll probably be fighting, you'll probably be shouting at them, will you ever stop and will you listen as you're trying to teach? Can you imagine that as a parent, trying to teach them the Bible and saying, stop, will you listen? It's been my experience. But we're still called to teach them diligently. Is it your household full of that? And I don't even think this is just for parents. I think this is for whatever household you are in. Whether you are a couple or whether you're just with your roommate or whatever. These things, we're we're preparing our lives to have the Word of God being diligently taught. And it might look like five minutes of prayer before you go to bed and and a little time in God's Word, but it, it should be something. We should build this platform to teach our children diligently. And what the Father is doing in Proverbs, when He says, Hear, O Son, when He says that word here, He is following in the tradition of the Shema. He is teaching His Son diligently. So Proverbs is telling us what it actually looks like. And the father is teaching his son, when the world says, come with us, don't go with them. The father is teaching the son, devote all your trust to the Lord. But the father is also teaching the son. In Proverbs chapter 5 and in Proverbs chapter 7, my son, watch out for the adulterous woman. My son, avoid sexual immorality. My son, don't walk down that road. 
And so the father, as he instructs his son, he's not silent about those issues. In wisdom, he comes in and he speaks those issues to his child. It is not inappropriate for us to teach our children about these things. It is actually what we should do. And you know why we should do it? I come back to the, the quote I said to you before from a Puritan old fellow. Well, he's dead now, but um, his name is John Flavel. And he said this, If you neglect to instruct your children in the way of holiness, the devil and the world will not neglect to instruct your children in the ways of wickedness. Someone is teaching your children something. And I would say it should be you, the parent. And even if you're not a parent here this morning, I would say to you, encourage that. It is good that we have children and that we have babies in this room and, and be part of, of welcoming in them in and be part of saying hello to them and recognizing them and not ignoring them and telling them that you are glad that they are here and asking them how their week went in school because they not look up to, not only look up to their parents, but they look up to you. They are watching you. I saw this the, the, a, f- a few months back, you know, when I was leading the Lord's table. I don't mean to be irreverent here, but I'll just give you an example of how they watch you. I, I was leading the Lord's table and I take the cup and it's happened to me before when I take the bread as I'm leading. If I take too big of a bit of bread, it, it got stuck in my throat before and I couldn't speak as I was leading. So what I've done now is I take just a smaller bit of the bread, I, I take it and then I can lead better. None of you adults saw that at all. None of you adults saw that. But some of the kids, they said, Hey, you don't eat all the bread. You don't eat all the bread. Why? Because they're watching. You may not be a parent in this room. The children, they watch you. And you will pass on something to them. And you either pass on, we come here and we just you know, sit around and do our thing. Or you might pass on a passion for God's Word and singing His praise to all of the children in the room. And I would encourage you to do that. Someone is teaching our children. And it should be us. The world is not going to neglect to teach our children wickedness. Let me give you an example. Say a child, your child, uh, goes to the shop with their friend. And they walk to the shop just to buy sweets. It's a very innocent activity. They just walk to the shop to buy sweets with their friend. And when they go into the shop, there's music playing in the shop, isn't there? There's always music playing in the shop. What music is playing in the shop? Probably one of the top ten. If you were to go home this morning and look at the top ten hits on the music charts and not listen to them by song, but just take the lyrics, maybe the top ten, maybe the top song, just take the lyrics and read it slowly to yourself, you would say to yourself, I would never say those words to my child. I would never do it. And yet we're so used to it. And listen, I'm not going to avoid sending my child to a shop. I'm just telling you, this is what is happening. That music is everywhere. We cannot avoid that. The worldviews are not going to um, depart from our children of this world. They are going to hear those songs. And what are songs? They are memorable. So they just go in, buy sweets, and they, they hear these songs. Then they walk past what? Magazines. Are the magazines, do the magazines have no images on them? Are they empty? 
Do they have nothing on them? No, they do have images on them. So, so my child, just by walking into the shop, just to buy sweets, they hear something and they see something. And then they queue up. And, the, and then in the queue, as they're innocently looking to buy their sweets in the queue, there's teenagers in the queue and they're talking about what they got up to last night. And my child is going to hear that. They're not going to ignore that. They're going to hear that. And then they walk out of the shop with their sweets. And then, then the friend that they're with talks about how, how their brother or sister, their older brother or sister went to a disco last night and, and what they got up to. And they, then they t- tell your child all of that. Someone is going to teach your child something. And parents, it should be you. And so they hear all of this. They hear all of this when they go to school. They hear all of this when they go to the shop. They hear all of this when they go around in the world. And then when they come to the church, you know what happens in the church? Silence. Silence. The church says nothing. Because it's awkward to talk about sexual immorality. And it's awkward to talk about adultery. And it's awkward to talk about these things. We need to have answers for these things. And if they're not going to hear it here, where are they going to hear it? We have got to do this in this church. And and I'm not going to do it perfectly. I hope to teach these passages reverently. I hope to not be too graphic in my language and in all these things. But if we say nothing about this stuff, where are we leading our children? If we say nothing about what can be watched on the computer or watched on the TV at night, or what many of us probably in this room are struggling with right now, if we say nothing about that, The world is going to teach them. Here, here, here. In Proverbs chapter 5, he says, Hear, my son, avoid the adulterous woman. So I will not skip over these passages. I will not neglect these passages. And the reason I won't do it is not only because of the tradition of the Shema with our children in the room and all that, Not only because of the tradition of the Shema, but also because of what I believe we are doing when we are preaching and teaching the Scriptures. What I believe about the Bible. And I want you to see that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, it talks about how we should view the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 14. And what I want you to see in these verses is first that all Scripture is powerful. The reason I want to teach all Scripture and not avoid any Scripture is because I believe that all Scripture is powerful. Look at chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. It says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
I believe that all Scripture is powerful. Do you see what it says at the end of verse 15? All Scripture, the sacred writings, that's the Old Testament, are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. The Scripture is powerful. You may not be able to save anyone, but the Scripture is powerful that can make people wise unto salvation. And how was Timothy trained in the sacred Scripture? He had a wonder of a grandmother and a wonder of a mother, Lois and Eunice. They did not neglect to teach him in the ways of the Lord. From the moment he was young, they were bringing him through the Scriptures. The sacred writings, all scripture is powerful. And we should remember it is able to make us wise to salvation in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed. We don't ignore any scripture because all scripture is God breathed. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is from God. We believe this is the word of God. So we'll come to Proverbs chapter 5. It will feel weird. It will feel awkward. But, but we won't say let's ignore that because we will say that's God's wisdom to us. And so we should hear that. It is breathed out by God, not by man. So all Scripture is powerful. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is profitable. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is profitable. It is useful. Even Leviticus. It's able to teach us something. Even Proverbs, it's able to teach us something. Even Ezekiel. Has any of you gone through Ezekiel? It's profitable. Imagine, we have ignored 48 chapters. Your Father in Heaven has written to you 48 chapters from Ezekiel. And most of us will know maybe Proverbs, maybe Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, and we won't know any of it, any else of it. He's written to us 48 chapters of Ezekiel. And we ignore it. No. It's profitable. It's useful. It is good for us. And all Scripture must be declared. All Scripture must be declared. It is powerful. It is God-breathed. It is profitable. And it has to be declared. I want to bring you lastly just to remind you of the words of Paul when he was leaving the Ephesian church and when he was saying his goodbyes and his farewell to the Ephesian church. He said these words to them. He said, I know that none of none among you whom have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. I know you're not going to see my face again. I know I'm going into eternity. So he's going to this church and he's saying bye to this church. And he loved his churches. And he was saying, I know I'm not going to see your face again. But he said this, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul in his farewell to them said this, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you all of the counsel of God. 
And when I started preaching, I made this commitment. I will not, I will not shrink back from preaching the counsel of God. No matter how awkward it is or weird it is or strange it is, I will not shrink back from preaching the counsel of God. And so when I'm gone and another young gun preacher comes in and he says, hey, you know, let's, let's do topics, let's put this away and let's talk about loads of topics, you say to him, that's not how we do things here. That's not how we do things here. You go take a book of the Bible and you finish what that guy started before you. Because that's what we do here. We go through the whole counsel of God. The Bible, it is like mountains. And let me tell you, we are going to go through normal mountains. The Gospels. And I'm going to, we're going to go through those Gospels. That's not saying that they're not powerful. They are. That's not saying that they're not beneficial. They are. But they will feel more normal to us. We will go up to that hill and we will say, yeah, we can climb that. We can go. Let's go. Let's do it. But then there will be strange mountains. Revelation. We'll get to the mountain of Revelation and we'll be saying to ourselves, bowls, trumpets, beasts, sea creatures, all of this stuff. Do you really want us to go up that mountain? And I'll say, yes, let's climb this mountain. And I don't know how we're going to get up there. I Honestly, I don't know how. I'm not ready to do it yet. But one day in this church, I want us to climb that mountain. Why? Because we need the whole counsel of God. Sometimes we're going to get to a mountain and it will be a controversial mountain. It will be a mountain about the spiritual gifts or, or the millennium or mountain about election or different mountains. And we will come to it and you say, do you want to climb that mountain? It's kind of risky. We, we might disagree and we might. We might have different views in this church about these things. As the body of Christ, that might be the way. But that shouldn't stop us from climbing the mountain. We have to do it. Shane, are you sure we should go up there? Yes, absolutely. And then there will be the awkward mountain. Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 7, Songs of Solomon. And you'll say, Shane, are we really going to climb this mountain? The kids in the room with all of us here, are we going to climb this mountain? I will say to you, yes, let's go. Because it is the whole counsel of God. We must not ignore it. And we will do that reverentially. Hopefully we will do that carefully and well. But we will not ignore God's word to us. We must hear it. Do you know why? Because church, we are in a battle. We're in a battle. And we need to arm each other. And we need to arm our children for that battle in this world. And we must not shrink back from teaching them the ways of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the counsel of your word. We know it is powerful. We know that it is profitable. We know that it is God-breathed. And we know that it should and must be declared. And so I pray, Lord, In the coming years and months, as we go through books of the Bible and as we prepare ourselves to hear passages like Proverbs chapter 5, I pray, Lord, that you will enable us as a church 
to be ready. In your name, amen. We're going to stand and sing, O church arise, before we come to the Lord's Supper.